Look at that, man. Wow, good, good, good. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Soma Midtown. I'm going to read our text this morning. Our text starts in uh, John 15, starting in verse 1. So if you have a Bible around you um, or on your phone, just go ahead and flip over to, to John 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, in the, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." This is the reading of the word of the Lord. This morning we're going to be looking at the last of Jesus' I Am statements that were recorded in the book of John. It's the last Sunday uh, that we will be in this series called Epiphany. Epiphany is a time that's focused on the manifestation of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. We have observed this time at Soma and focusing on Jesus' I Am statements. And these I Am statements are, I am the living word, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. And this morning we're going to be talking about Jesus saying, I am the true vine. Each of these communicates Jesus' authority and metaphor pointing back to him as a manifestation of God in the flesh. Now, I didn't grow up in church observing the liturgical calendar. Uh, we had Easter and we had Christmas, and that was pretty much it. Um, so so the, se- the season of Epiphany has, has been new for me. Um, and I almost confess to you that the season of Epiphany has been wonderful, but it's been really challenging. One of the main things I love about Jesus, and specifically how his story is recorded in John, is, is his authoritative and confident nature. I love how it presents his boldness and his dealings with the Pharisees. 
and also how his confidence is self-control. We see that in his withdrawing from the crowds as they seek to, by force, make him king. It's in John 6, 15. And how he isn't caught up in the crowds following him, but he continues to preach what his disciples say were hard teachings in John 6, 60. The challenge for me is not accepting this authoritative, bold, and confident Jesus. My challenge is that I recognize this Jesus presents as someone who's exclusive. What I mean is that you can't follow Jesus by your own playbook. You can't get to God by any other way but through Jesus. That path through Jesus is one of sacrifice. That path through Jesus is one that's costly. That path through Jesus is hard. Now, it's my nature to see myself as an inclusive peacemaker. It's through this lens that um, I approach my study and I approach this text. And if I were a betting man, I would, I would think that there are other people here that approach these sermons the same way. You may have thought, I get Jesus is the way, but, or I accept Jesus as the bread of life, but. It's what comes after the but that conflicts with the preceding proclamation. And it's something that we can be honest about this morning. It's something that we need to be honest about this morning. I talked to a friend about this, about the exclusivity of Jesus and and how I struggled with communicating that with grace and um, uh, without shutting people out. And he said, James, you realize that we're all exclusive, right? And in that moment, something clicked. He was right. And if if you go with me here for a second, you'll, you'll understand that our culture is set up for us to be exclusive and to exclude others. This evening, the biggest football game is going to be played between the 49ers and the the Kansas City Chiefs, and I I would imagine that a single 49er fan would be excluded from any and all Chief parties and vice versa. Any any Chiefs fan would be excluded from all 49er parties. We see this exclusivity on a wide range of levels. If you visit my missional community, it won't be too long before you see that most of our heated debates are not about theology or, or doctrine. It's about food. Right? I've been excluded and pushed to the side for my views on food um, quicker than most people have been excluded and pushed to the side uh, that that I know. I'm a person that believes that tacos and burritos are the same thing, right? I I believe that a grilled cheese sandwich ceases to be such once you add meat to it. And I'll take this to the grave. I I believe that a, a Costco rotisserie chicken is the best thing that you can buy on a Sunday morning. And seeing and accepting those differences and and those things can be harmless, right? They can be fun, they can be trite. But what happens when we raise the stakes of what we allow to divide us or to exclude one another? It's no no news that we're in election year, right? I remember in 2016, the unsafe feelings and tensions that people felt coming into this church, not knowing where people stood or how they felt, but feeling like an outsider because they may have voted differently, if, if at all. It's also the start of Black History Month, a time where people recall and encounter the systemic levels of injustice that occurred for centuries, which facilitated exclusion that we continue to fight to this day. Reading Jesus as exclusive calls to mind our human nature of being unjustly exclusive. For example, segregating people by race, culture, or political affiliation. In reading John, I saw his authority in the I am statements as unjustly divisive, when I felt that I myself would have been self-righteously inclusive. I'm here to tell you that I could not have been more wrong. 
And if you see Jesus as I saw Jesus, it's my prayer that you first acknowledge and be honest about that. And second, to consider this, that Jesus' authority leads to exclusivity, and that exclusivity is preceded and followed by scandalous and reckless love for us. Jesus was sent into the world because God loved the world. He loved us while we rejected him. He loved us while we were walking in darkness. He loved us when we had no hope. He wants eternal life for us, and we read that in John 3:16 and 17. Jesus came to save the world, not to judge the world. We read that in John 12, 47. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but, but to save the world. All throughout the book of John, the great and immeasurable love of God and the obedience of his son, Jesus Christ, is what's being offered to us. All that love is offered to all of us with no prerequisite of a perfect life on all part, but freely as a gift. It's that fundamental truth that characterizes Jesus as inclusive. However, the reality of the Christian life is one that accepts Christ's teaching as him being the only way to God. It is this recognition that apart from abiding in Christ, we can do nothing of eternal worth. It's a counter to a culture that says if you're a good person and and you try your best, you're okay. Or that says, just be more charitable with your finances or volunteer with your time and you'll be okay. Please hear me. Those things are good things, but doing those things will never pay for the penalty of sin, which is death. So we're confronted with a bit of dilemma, right? We have this invitation that's freely given, but we must deny ourselves. We must deny our fleshly desires to control our lives and accept Jesus It's better said we need to abide or stay in Jesus. Our source of life needs to come from Jesus. Only then will we bear fruit that will last. This leads to the main idea of this morning, that true life and eternal fruit comes from abiding and staying in Jesus Christ. Let's look at our text. John 15, Jesus is in the middle uh, of his last words to his disciples before he's taken away and uh, to be tried and crucified. And it's usually when you know, you know, somebody's speaking their last words before they die, people really pay attention to it. So I ask you to pay attention to what Jesus is saying this morning. If we start in, in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. I'll start here with Jesus' proclamation of being the the true vine, and the first thing that, that, that comes to mind by way of a question is, what are false vines? Right? Namely, what are false sources of life that is leading us to bear fruit that's not eternal? I think of it as this, false vines are those things that we elevate to God's status to provide life for us, but are unsustainable. These things start out as our, uh, as our source for life. They may not start out as our source for life, but over time we recognize that without them we cannot live. I think about my past relationships, and I would say if I could date her, that would change my life. Or if I could be in that circle of friends, I would be somebody. I was seeking life, acceptance, and identity from those sources. And what would happen? We would break up. Those friends would move away. We'd graduate. We'd have a falling out. And I'd be right back to looking for something to provide life, 
for me. Again, please hear me. To desire relationship, to desire friends, to desire acceptance, and any of those things is not wrong. Our tendency is to elevate those pursuits to being ultimate. To see, what, to see if you have something like that in your life, ask the question, what happens if this goes away? Jesus begins by saying that he is the true source of life for the branches. The branches that do not bear fruit, those will be taken away by the Father, the vine dresser. Jesus comes back to this later in verse 6 where he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This echoes back to Jesus saying that he came not into the world to judge, but to save the world. We see the Father God being the one taking away the branches and sentencing them to final judgment. Why? Because a life that abides in Christ must bear fruit. If that does not happen, we should ask ourselves, am I in Christ? Is he the source of my life? Coming from uh, the acceptance of what Christ has done for me, am I living in a way that reflects my confession of Christ? For the branches that are bearing fruit, Jesus says that the Father will prune those branches. Pruning is a process where the gardener or vine dresser cuts a branch so that the fruitfulness and growth will continue all the more. This idea that there's a momentary wounding that will yield even greater fruit. And for the believer, that's hard. But I'm here to tell you that it's necessary. In James 1, he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The ongoing process of pruning results in us being perfect and complete. But at times it may feel like it's discipline. And if that's you, I want to offer up uh, Hebrews 12, 3-8, where the author writes, Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I consider him as consider Jesus. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for your discipline that you must endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's discipline, this pruning, this sanctification, which, which means the process of us becoming more like Jesus is necessary for fruitfulness and for growth. We should, as James encourages, count it all joy. We should also call to mind and be comforted by the help and mercy that Jesus offers. In Hebrews 4, we read, Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Confidently, the author says, we need to draw near to the throne of grace. That doesn't mean we, we need to feel guilty because it's the 10th time that we're crying out for help. It doesn't mean that we need to feel shame for our weaknesses. Jesus sympathizes with us, and we should feel comforted by that reality. 
We echo Paul, who in 2 Corinthians writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. Though the pruning process is difficult, we have access to comfort, to mercy and love through the source of the true vine, which is Jesus Christ. That truth motivates us to continue to abide in him, to stay in him, to rest in him. Abiding in Jesus is, a, is, is to continue a daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, by prayer, by obedience. So back at the text, in, in John 15, 4, he writes, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The key thing to remember here is that abiding in Christ points to a relationship that we have with Christ. Like all relationships, there are going to be ups and downs. Uh, but, but, but true relationships are marked by steadfastness a joy, a dedication to and for each other. Jesus demonstrates his steadfastness and dedication in his enduring love for us. It is with joy that he endured the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. As we consider our relationship with Jesus, is it marked by steadfastness? Is it marked by joy or dedication? Do we begrudgingly spend time with him through worship, prayer, studying his word? Are we going through the motions? Think about your posture to Christ right now in this moment. Are you wishing for me to wrap this up so we can just move on to the next thing? Knock off the next thing on our list? Do we have room for him to change our plans? Now hear me, I'm not trying to guilt you. My desire for my own relationship with Jesus is to never lose the sense of wonder or curiosity or joy about who he is and, and what he's done for me. But the reality is that I struggle with that. I allow other things to get in the way and slowly allow those things to rise to the place of life for me. Just recently, we've, uh, my wife and I have uh, been in this situation uh, where there have been raccoons in our attic. Um, and, and as new homeowners, we've been in this house for all of six, not even six months, um, and with great joy, we moved in, and then that joy turned quickly to sorrow when we realized we had roommates. Um, and, and it's just been debilitating, man. I, I, it's just been really, really, really hard. Um, I, I like to think that when people say, hey, you know, you're a homeowner, good for you. Just get ready. You know, I, I like to think that, that they had not wished raccoons on us um, in, our, in our house, and we had thought we had this problem remedied, right? We thought we had this problem fixed. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we heard what sounded like um, Fight Club happening in our attic, uh, which, which isn't great. That's not great at 2 o'clock in the morning when you have work presentations and you're, you're trying to get ready for, for MC and things like that. Um, and, and I remember feeling just so defeated, right? And usually what happens for me when, that, when I get to that state 
um, I withdraw, I sit down, and, and I try to draw life from everything that's around me. So I'll sit on the couch and watch a show, watch another show, watch a movie, eat ice cream, over and over and over again. And I would like to think uh, that in all I know about Christ, that he, he's looking at me and saying, hey man, I'm right here. But if I can be honest, like getting to Jesus in those moments are really, really hard, right? If we can be real with ourselves and we can be honest with ourselves, getting to Jesus is really hard. And, and for me, it's because I like to control the situation. It's like, you know, I'm going to deal with this. And then Jesus, I'm going to come to you with my solution. It's not abiding in Christ. Jesus invites me in that moment and he invites you in that moment to cast our cares on him. What would it look like if we took him at that offer? If you're like me, I want to encourage you this morning and to remind you that there's grace and and forgiveness for us. In those moments, I'm elevating other things to the status of my life source, right? And in that, I need to confess that sin. I'm allowing idols to set up shop in my heart, and again, I would think that I'm not alone in that. It's also important for me to say that a relationship with Jesus should grow over time into deeper intimacy. For new believers, feel at peace that, uh, with, with learning who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Don't, don't worry about not spending three hours in silence and solitude. Don't worry about not having all of the language correct. Abide in Christ by spending time thanking him for his sacrifice. Abide in Christ by trusting him that, that, that he really is good. Let that reshape your heart and increase desire for deeper intimacy with Jesus. When we see and accept what Christ has done for us, that drives abiding with Jesus. It drives the bearing of fruit that is eternal. Jesus is also saying that without abiding in him, we can do nothing. And digging into that, it's us being unable to do nothing of eternal value. My giving to the poor and needy does not cleanse me from my sins. My giving to the church does not buy me a ticket into heaven. In contrast, allowing my giving to be motivated by my relationship with Christ has eternal value. In that scenario, I'm not trying to buy God off. I don't need need to have a bank account with Jesus. I don't need to have a a two-hour quiet time to validate my holiness. Can you do good works apart from abiding in Christ? Absolutely. The question is, what would it be for, ultimately? Is it to make you feel good? Is it to earn praise? When Jesus says to abide in him, we are then compelled and motivated to respond, whether we see good outcomes or bad bad outcomes. That response is a manifestation of fruit in our lives. The action isn't what's driving life for us. Rather, we submit to the truth that true life and eternal fruit comes from abiding and staying in Jesus Christ. I feel as though it's important for me to draw this distinction between spiritual gifts and the fruit of the spirits as we move and start to talk about, well, what is that fruit that I should be bearing? I've heard people say that I'm not a healing people or or I'm not prophesying, so I must not be bearing fruit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul calls out gifts of the spirit that are apportioned according to God's will. We're not talking about those gifts as a result of abiding in Christ this morning. 
It's for another sermon for another day. The fruit that one should expect to see from abiding in Christ is listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we're not bearing these fruits, then it's a sign that we're not abiding in Christ. Uh, This does not discount struggles. This does not uh, discount hard seasons of life. This does not discount wounds. Those are legitimate, and those are difficult. But I'm here to tell you that if you look at your life in Christ, and you're not seeing love, joy, peace, if none of those are evident in your walk with Christ, I would ask if you're abiding in Christ. What is your excuse to not bear fruits of the Spirit? What is my excuse to not bear fruits of the Spirit? Before Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he begins chapter 5 with, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But the reality is is that we don't always feel that. I don't always feel that. When I'm sitting, again, defeated by a a family of raccoons, I, I don't feel that freedom. Christians will follow this this uh, statement by Paul uh, with his statement in Romans 7, and say, when I try to do good, evil is right there. Or no matter what I continue to do, the wrong thing is still there. I do this. This is my story. This is real because brokenness is real. But I must remind myself, and I remind you that Paul does not resign himself to never being able to do good. Instead, he recognizes and proclaims his deliverer. Romans 7, 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So what do we do with our flesh? We crucify our flesh. We put to death our earthly desires. Colossians 3, Paul writes, but put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Paul lists out those things to put to death. And why? Because we have been raised with Christ. If we have been raised with Christ, we should seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. We set our minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Receive that. Receive the promise that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Allow his words to abide in you. Allow Christ to abide in you. Abide in Christ. You are clean, Jesus says, because of the word that he has spoken to you. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples here, he was referring to how he physically cleaned their feet a couple of chapters ago. Now, we receive our cleaning by the blood of Christ. John 1, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We who are in Christ have no excuse to not bear fruit, to not be people marked by love, 
to not be people marked by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we look at all those passages and we see the sacrifices that Christ has made for us and we are still unable to bear fruit, then we should be taken away. Then I should be taken away. If you find yourself in difficult seasons and you can't see fruit, then ask someone you're in relationship with. Ask your missional community or, or discipleship group. Man, what, what would it look like for us to be able to affirm the fruit that we see in one another? What would it look like for us to be honest about our struggles with being able to acknowledge fruit in our own lives? For us assessing fruit in the lives of others, I want to encourage us to consider the whole person. When we look at the trees right now, you may not see fruit because it's winter. But that doesn't mean that there's something going on at the root, in this case, at the heart of a person. So let your encouragement reflect that. Before closing out this passage, Jesus tells the disciples, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Abide in my love, Jesus says. Let that be the resting place for our relationships. It's not judgment or condemnation. Jesus didn't say abide in in my law. Jesus didn't say abide in my legalism. Jesus said abide in my love. It's a place of love. And out of that, our joy is made full. I was struck by this a few weeks ago when when Pastor Jamal spoke about Jesus being a good shepherd. He said that Jesus wasn't just a shepherd, but he said he was a good shepherd. He would sit on that good, and that rings in my mind, and he said, Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus knows the sheep by name. Jesus cares for and loves the sheep dearly. Jesus commands his disciples to keep his commandments, and by doing so, they will abide in his love. His commandment is made plain in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus goes on to say that they are his friends. They follow his commandment. Man, that's beautiful. Before this, uh, from, from the point of the divine, is Moses and Abraham being called and considered friends of God. Jesus says to, to, to abide in my commandments, to follow my commandments of loving one another, you prove to be my friends. He calls me to abide in his love. And I felt that throughout this story and throughout my study. Jesus says that to me in the same way he's saying that to you. To love one another as he loved you. I must love one another. I must love each of you as Christ has loved me. And man, that that, that stirs me up. Stirred me up a couple weeks ago when you're talking about God as a, or Christ as a good shepherd. and, And boy, it stirs me up now. There's a song that we used to sing in church. And almost every church that we visited, so I, I grew up in Las Vegas, and 
Uh, we, we moved to Florida when I was about eight. Most of my church's uh, experiences were predominantly black um, and just a, just a little bit of a different feel if you come from that background, Pentecostal, uh, apostolic background. Um, there's this church that, there's a song that we would sing um, after reflecting on the goodness and greatness of God. After a time of worship and reverence, we would sing this to the Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord, today because you cared for me in such a special way. That's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. And then we would sing, my heart, my mind, my soul belongs to you. You paid the price for me way back on Calvary. That's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. May your hearts be filled with the praise at the knowledge of the sacrifice and the love of our Lord and Savior. It's a practical next step, two things I have for you. First, to abide in Jesus daily by getting in the word, by listening to music, by reflecting and responding to his goodness and greatness in personal ways, in the ways that he's speaking to you directly. The second is this, love one another with the love that Christ has loved us to the point in laying down your life for them. This isn't an invitation to die physically for someone, but to make space for others, to put our lives on hold or to die to our schedules to love someone. May you do that with a joy and thanksgiving following the example of Christ. We remember Christ's sacrifice every week with communion, a process of taking the bread which represents Christ's body broken for us, and dipping, dipping it in the cup, which is Christ's blood shed for us, communicates our abiding with him, our staying with him. I would ask that you reflect on that before, before coming to take communion. If you're not a follower of Christ, but you desire to be, we ask that you consider asking Jesus into your heart. God sent Jesus for you, right where you are in your life. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Christ. He does that. You just need to accept the gift of salvation being offered this morning. So in a minute, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray here, and then we're going to take communion. And what we do, there will be stations here at the front, stations in the back. Um, let's reflect. Let's reflect on, on the goodness and greatness of God.